Blog Talk Radio. that we talk about life's problems that may break or tear hearts apart. On Reconnect My Heart, we'll discuss God's answers to life's problems to reconnect our hearts back to the way he originally made us. I'm your host, Brother Prater. So glad you are able to join us. If you have any questions, comments, or if you just want to listen to the show, feel free to call us at 516-453-9118. That's 516 516- Four five three nine one one eight, or you can listen online at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash reconnect my heart, <clears throat> or you can go out to our chat. Okay, okay. I want to make sure y'all are able to hear me. Uh, you can go to our chat room, which is available right now. It's on our blog. It's on our website. 
I would like to say a huge hello, hello, hello to my church family, True Believers, Tabernacle Church, my senior pastor, Pastor Otis Logan. If you're ever in the Dallas area, feel free to come and worship with us. We are at 4204 Cardinal Drive, Dallas, Texas, 75216. Once again, I want to thank each and every one to tune in to the show. And thank you for your continued prayers and support. Thank you, thank you, thank you. First of all, I want to tell everyone, happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Resurrection Sunday. On today's show, we're going to talk about the meaning and the importance of Resurrection Sunday the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the episode called The Tomb is Empty. The Tomb is Empty. I know many people look at this holiday as a time to do Easter egg hunting and go to church, wear your Best outfit. Matter of fact, uh, this is one of three holidays that um, they said that the church would be packed. That's Easter, Mother's Day, and Christmas. <laughs> the, they call them the CME members. C M C M. I'm sorry, EMC members. Easter, Mother's Day, and Christmas. But. Easter is not about eggs, not about um, rabbits, bunnies. It's actually what we like to celebrate as believers, Resurrection Sunday. This is the day that we uh, set aside to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, rising from the dead. Now, um, this is not. This may not be the exact that he rose, but we're we're celebrating. We we're utilizing this time to uh, acknowledge that we serve a risen Savior. So, I do want to say this is the most important holiday. For believers, the most important holiday, because if Jesus had not died, we would have been lost throughout eternity. Now, many people debate, okay, well, maybe it's Christmas. Christmas is the most important. What's the difference between Christmas and Resurrection Sunday? Well, when you think about it, Jesus could have been born, okay? But just because he was born, that does not mean or guarantee that he would have died. So if he had been born and not died, we still would have been lost. But because he died, he rose with all power in his hand. And he rose and for him to die in exchange for us to live. That's the reason why we celebrate. We celebrate this day, Resurrection Sunday, and what we want to do, kind of dive in from the very beginning 
first of all, God created man in his image after his likeness. When God created man, God created man, and it was not God's design or desire for man to die. Man, when I say man, that means humankind. Humankind or man. Man was born to live forever. Man was not designed to know evil. Man, like I said, was after God's image and likeness. Now, after his image and likeness, we serve a holy, faithful God. Now, because God made and Adam was born to live forever, God made everything for Adam to enjoy. Also, God gave Adam responsibility. God had Adam to name the animals. He did so many things. Now, in Genesis, we hear about where excuse me, where God, the Father, tells Adam because Adam had a relationship with God. We even hear about where God met Adam in the cool of the day. The Garden of Eden is where Adam was. The Garden of Eden, God's presence was there. Now, God told Adam he can eat of any tree that he desire. Any tree, the tree of eternal life, all these, there were so many different trees that had fruit. He can eat of any tree except one. That one, the knowledge of good and evil, that one was the one that God told Adam not to eat off of. Now, in the process, God saw that every animal that he created had a mate. Adam named the animals. He named everything. But God saw that everything had a companion except for Adam. Now, God allowed Adam to put him to sleep. God put Adam to sleep. And out of Adam's rib, he made Eve. Now, after God made Eve, they were husband and wife to enjoy, to fellowship, and God made Adam and helpmate. Now, fast forwarding, unfortunately, sin came. Now, like I said, God told Adam he could eat of any tree except for one, the knowledge of good and evil. He's, God told Adam, the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Now, I'm going to explain about dying or death 
in a few minutes. Just don't forget about the word death. Now, fast forwarding, where God had Eve on the scene for Adam and Adam for Eve. Now, unfortunately, Eve listened to the serpent, and the serpent convinced Eve that God was withholding something from them. So, and once Eve ate of the fruit, she presented it to Adam, and Adam ate of the fruit. Once Adam ate of the fruit, that's when that's when they became aware that they were naked. Now, Adam did something that God told him not to do. He ate of the fruit. He ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so once God came and he asked Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam was hiding. Now, Adam was hiding. Adam was aware. His conscience made him aware that he sinned. Now, like I said earlier, God told Adam, the day that you eat of the tree is the day that you will surely die. Now, get this. Now, once Adam ate of the tree, and Adam was, if you want to say, he was summoned by God. God, uh, uh, Adam, where are you? Where are you? So God told, Adam told God, I'm hiding. Uh, he said, I'm naked, okay? God asked him, okay, who told you you were naked? God had already knew that he ate of the tree. So instead of Adam repenting, instead of Adam acknowledging, you know what, I made a mistake, what did he do? He shifted the blame on Eve, that woman that you gave me. Instead of taking personal responsibility, he went on and blamed Eve. Now, after he didn't want to take personal responsibility, what happened, God began to send judgment, told the serpent first that he's going to be on his stomach. He's going to be crawling, and there will, there will be uh, a rift between him and the woman, or him and women. Now, also, God spoke to Eve that she's going to be subject to man, and also the childbearing is going to be painful. Now, man, God told man that he would have to work the sweat of his brow, and the grounds were cursed. Now, Earlier, I mentioned that God told Adam that the day that he eat of the tree, that he was going to die. Now, did Adam die instantaneously? The answer is no. Now, when God said 
the day the day that you eat of the tree, the day you should you should surely die. That word die or death means separation. There will be separation between God and man. That doesn't mean a quote unquote a physical death, but there was a relational death. Or even if you want to say a spiritual death, the bond, the fellowship was severed. Now, also, what I want to bring up was many people look at um, pictures, how they have Adam and Eve and everything, and they have the fig leaves and stuff. Well, they covered themselves up. And so going to understand about when God told Adam that he would be separated, in other words, the relationship would change between he and God, but also they were kicked out of the garden. They were kicked out of the garden. The garden is, quote, unquote, not a location, so to speak, but it's God's presence. Even to this day, they still have not located in the world where the Garden of Eden was actually present at because it was more than a quote-unquote location. It was the presence of where God dwelled, a holy God dwelling with man before sin came. Remember this, God is a holy God, and sin, there was no sin on the earth before Adam sinned. There was no sin. There was there was no need. There was no need for medicine. There was no sickness. There was nothing. But because of sin, sin brought the penalty, the penalty of the disobedience, which was death and everything that pertains to it. So now that Adam had been kicked out of the garden, well, Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden, and now there is no quote-unquote relationship. The relationship between God and man has changed. So fast forward, there would be a need for quote-unquote a sacrifice. The sacrifice when we look at the sacrifice, sacrifice being whatever type of disobedience transpired or whatever type of sin transpired, all sin's punishment was, quote, unquote, death. I'm fast-forwarding to towards the resurrection. We, coming from the Old Testament, talking about... Uh, coming from Genesis, Deuteronomy, all those in the, um, starting off in the first five books of the Bible, fast forwarding. Now, any type of sin that may have transpired was the penalty of death. Let's just say, if you want to think about it in this day and time, if anything happened where, uh, say somebody run a red light, the penalty for that was not a slap on the wrist. It was death. Uh, any type of 
seen any type of disobedience, the punishment was death. So because of the requirement for sin or disobedience was death, God allowed a substitute for those who are kind of well off financially. They might have had um, lambs. those who may not have been well off financially, they might have had doves or if you want to say pigeons or whatever, but the animal had to be, there was animal sacrifice. They had to be perfect without blemish. They had to not only be perfect, but also they had to take them home and have them as pets. Whoever was the sinner, if they were going to sacrifice an animal, they had to bring them home, have them as pets, get attached to them, get attached to the animal. And once they got attached to it, between three, if I'm not mistaken, between three to five days after bringing them home, getting attached to them, allowing their families to get attached to them, now it was time to sacrifice. Now, that sacrificial animal, if you want to say, let's say for an example, the lamb, you being attached to that lamb. Now, what you do is you get that lamb and you put them, quote, unquote, at the altar. And right before you get ready to sacrifice them, kill them, what you do, you put your head your hand over their head. You put your hand over that lamb's head. And what you're doing, you're saying that this lamb is a substitution of me. In other words, it should be me because the penalty of sin was death. So, quiet. Because of the sin, there had to be what? A life. Taken, And where is life? Life is in the blood. So that's why it had to be a blood sacrifice. It had to be uh, an animal sacrifice, but it had to be a blood shed. So the animal is laying at the altar, and the sinner would have his hand over the head of the animal and then kill the animal. Kill the animal and the body was burnt and the fragrance, the fragrance of the sacrifice temporarily pleased God. Temporarily pleased God. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, we often hear about or read about sacrifice, animal sacrifice. But that was a temporary thing because it was actually getting us prepared for the promised Messiah, talking about Jesus Christ. All these things that were going on in the Old Testament was foretelling about Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I'm going to say this. The animals had to be perfect. Now, what happened if 
there was a weak or a sick animal that was sacrificed. It was not accepted. So all the sacrifice had to be perfect. And like I said, you had to be attached to it. And that sacrifice of that animal that you were close to, it was it, it was opposed, it was designed to have you so broken that you sinned that you would not want to do that again. That's why when your hand was over, it was more than just a quote-unquote exchange where, the, you know, this animal is taking my spot. But on the other hand, when you think about it, when you've been attached to an innocent lamb, an innocent animal, and this animal is dying because of you, and you're the guilty party, but the animal is substituting in your spot. It is. It was designed to get your attention, to make you feel so remorseful. So, fast forwarding, even though we were doing the sacrifice, we were doing the animal sacrifice and, and all those things, like I said, those were just a temporary fix. But also, like I said, it was foretelling about the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. And even throughout the scriptures, it will often foretell about the promised Messiah coming. Now, many people were thinking about an earthly kingdom. Now, many people were suppressed. Many people were having a hard time with the Roman government and and people just couldn't wait till the promised Messiah come. So that way he can start handling, if you want to say it like this, handling business. He was going to overthrow everybody that's causing problems with the Israelites. So the other thing was, even though many people were looking for the promised Messiah, but also people knew that he was going to be born of a virgin Mary. Excuse me, born of a virgin. Now, many people may not, I'm not going to say born of virgin Mary, but what it was, people were anticipating, the young ladies were anticipating, will I be the one, will I be the one, will I be the one, until one day an angel came and spoke to a young girl named Mary. Mary being visited by an angel and talking to her and let her know that she would give birth to the promised Messiah. And so once she was receptive towards that, she became impregnated by God. Now, this is the thing. Now, there had to been a perfect sacrifice that would not just temporarily satisfy God, but permanently satisfy God. What can permanently satisfy God when it pertains to the relationship with he and man or mankind? So what happened, we hear about it in John 
3.16, for God so loved the word that he gave his only begotten son, which means only unique son, one of a kind son. Why is that unique in there or one of a kind in there? Because God, excuse me, Jesus is the only person that was qualified to be the permanent substitute for man in his sin as far as being a sacrifice. Now, this is the thing. Now, we talked about animal sacrifice. Animal had to be perfect without blemish with man, mankind. Is man perfect? No. But when we look at it, sin, because we were born in sin, is shaped in iniquity, but sin is often associated with man or males. See, people are born of the seed of a man. The woman carries the baby. Think about a person that's lying in the bed. The bed is the womb, but the person is the seed that comes from a man. So Jesus, Jesus being the son of God and Mary being impregnated by the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, that means that Jesus' biological father was sinless to my God's father. Jesus' biological father was God Almighty. And God has no sin. So Jesus, being the son of God, him being the seed of God, he, God, impregnated Mary. And so Mary is the biological mother of Jesus. But remember, like I said, sin did not come from a man. It came from a woman. Excuse me, excuse me. Take that back. Sin did not come from a woman. It came from a man. So Jesus, Jesus being the perfect sacrifice of being able to be qualified to be a perfect sacrifice because he was without sin, without blemish. So Jesus being born, although he was born of a virgin woman, untouched, shows that God, God allowed the son to come through a virgin, so that way there will be no contact from man. So Jesus, looking at it like this, Jesus, he was born of a woman. That's the human side of Jesus. But also, Jesus was 100% human, but also 100% God. He was born of the Father, Son, the unique Son, the one-of-a-kind Son, 
that was fully God and fully man. So Joseph had nothing to do with that. But when Jesus was born and confirmation came to Joseph to let him know that, look, there was no man that touched Mary. You can marry her and you can raise you can raise the child that's born of him, that was that came from him, that came from God. And so fast forwarding, Jesus being one hundred percent man, one hundred percent God. Through the Holy Spirit, and that that shows you all three. So just in case somebody dispute, oh, well, there is no Trinity. Even though the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but we use that word to speak about the triunion of the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, talking about Jesus, and God the Holy Ghost. It was the seed of God the Father. And that seed became God the Son, Jesus Christ, all through the working of the Holy of the Holy Ghost. That's three, three in one, all three being equal, and they were in union with each other, unison with each other. So, going to going to look at where now Jesus growing eventually even when we look at when he was 12 when he got lost they were looking for him and he got lost from his family Mary and Joseph and eventually when he got back with them they asked where were you he was in a synagogue I was about my father's business he was teaching, and the mother Mary held that within her heart. Now, Mary knew who she gave birth to. So, fast forwarding, because sin was on the earth, and remember this, sin had to be dealt with, and the only one that was going to be taking care of the sin, which Many people they didn't they didn't associate Jesus as God in the flesh. Matter of fact, that's where uh, the name Emmanuel come from. God with us, God being here amongst us. So, looking at Jesus, and Jesus showed demonstrations or signs. Some people say, well, miracles, miracles. Well, actually, those are signs showing who he was or who he is. He was showing the uh, he he was showing the signs. He was showing the uh, what's that word? He was authentic. He was authorization. He was showing the authorization of who he was. He was showing people. Who he was, he was sent by God, and for him, for people to believe in his teaching, 
of who the father was. So all throughout, like I said, people were looking at, oh, he doing all these things. He's the king of the Jews. And, of course, many people were threatened, not just the Romans, but even the religious leaders. What did he do? He not only challenged, and if you look at him and say like this, he not only challenged the government, but he challenged the religious folks, the church folks, the teachers, those who were, if you want to say, adding on things to make things hard on people. You know, there were some that were in the Bible that were saying, well, well uh, thank God I'm not like the uh, Pharisees or the Sadducees and stuff like that. People were putting down other people to make themselves look big. And to be honest with you, that was doing Bible time, but that's going on right now. There are some people that would even put down other people's ministries to promote their ministry. So everything that's going on now, but happening way back in biblical times. But just like how God put an end to certain things, when the time comes, God gonna put a God gonna settle everything. Everything has a time frame. But all we need to do is just put everything into the hands of God and make sure that our hands are clean. That's the main thing. So Many people were looking at Jesus, and he would often be around sinners. He was around people that, if you want to say that other people would shun, or, you know, he he was with tax collectors and all this and all that. But if you look at him, he was doing something that actually the church people should have done, reaching out to let them know about the Father. But there are some that he even challenged. Matter of fact, he even went into the temple and turned over everything. Why? Because of their motive or their agenda of what they were doing. They were turning the house of God into a marketplace where they were suppressing the people. So he stood up. For he stood up for what was right, regardless of who was participating. He stopped wrong. He addressed wrongdoing. And I'm going to say this on the sidebar. That even goes to what we need to do today. Some people, well, you know, I ain't the one to judge. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. When you think about it, you go to court, guess what? You're going to be judged. But also, we have to tell people when they're wrong and show, not just not go by our opinions, but go by facts, what the God Word says. So when we establish, when we show people what God Word says, it's not our authority, it's God's authority, but we have to make sure we know God's Word in its proper use so that way we can be able to show people and correct people in love. That's the key thing, showing that and let your motive be in love not to embarrass someone or not to belittle someone, but do it in love. So now the scene is coming up where Judas, or let me backtrack. Now, 
we called it the Last Supper. The Last Supper was is not so much of well, you know, this is the last time Jesus with the disciples. That's not why it's called the Last Supper. See, the Holy Spirit fell upon a person to help them do a specific assignment. And then the Holy Ghost would get off of a person. But see, now there is another covenant. There is a new covenant, a better covenant that Jesus was, if you want to say, establishing or letting it be known. So they call it the Last Supper to let people know that the old covenant is being passed away and the new covenant would be where the Holy the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is not going to fall upon someone. It's going to live within us. It's going to live in us. Also, even going to the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus foretold that he was going to die. Now, Jesus started his ministry when he was 30. And he already told his disciples that he was going to die, but don't be without hope. Because even though he's going to die, in three days he's going to rise back up. See, his death, he was going to be the perfect sacrifice. He was what we call the Lamb of God. Why do they call him the Lamb of God? Same thing associated with the Old Testament, the sacrifice. Just like how we used to sacrifice lambs in the Old Testament, he's going to be the perfect sacrifice of the New Testament where he will be the final sacrifice once and for all. That means after the sacrifice of Jesus, after his, there will be no need to have an animal sacrifice of any sort. Now, he often told people about his death, and like I said, he told them that in three days he's going to rise up. So eventually he ends up going, first of all, uh, Judas. Judas sold him out. Judas sold him out for a lot of money. And so once Judas sold him out, Jesus was arrested. And he didn't try to defend himself. He didn't say what we always say. He didn't say a mumbling word. But when you look at it, he was an innocent man. But his purpose was not to live. He was not born to live. He was born to die. He was born to die for me and for you. So when he was with Pilate, they even they even judged him. They found no fault in him. He was innocent. But because of the people, because of the the government, 
because of political reasons. They crucified an innocent man. In actuality, I'm going to say it like this, because of political reasons, they have their own agenda. Instead of speaking up for an innocent man, they remain silent. And so when Jesus, getting ready to go to the cross, he was beaten, he was bruised, he was stripped of his clothes, of his garment. They even made a crown because, remember, everybody acknowledged him as king of the Jews. So every king has a crown. And so what they made, they made a crown of thorns, of glass, of anything that was sharp to be able to strike it on his head. And blood, blood came, blood came down. Now, this is the thing. Even Jesus himself, he knew what he was going to go through. When he, before he even got sacked, before he even uh, went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he he prayed to the Father, and he, looking at what was ahead, and he said, Lord, let this cup pass me. In other words, he didn't want to do it, but he said, not my will, but let your will be done. And I'm going to explain why he said that. Now, get this. Now, going back, they they putting that crown over his head, and he's bleeding. They're beating him, and not only are they beating him, but he's carrying a heavy cross. They stripped him. They made fun of him. They punched him. They spat on him. They did all these things. But when you look at it, he did not say a mumbling word. And so after they did that, now they made it. They made it to Calvary. And they laid him down and they put the nails in his hands. They put the nails in his hands and then they put the nails in his feet. And then they hoisted him up. They already put a sign up right above his head that said King of the Jews. In other words, they wanted to make fun, but also they were showing an example to everyone that followed Jesus, that believed in Jesus, that this is your king, this is your leader. And if we can do that to him, we'll do that to you. Many of the disciples went hiding. Many of the disciples were in fear of their life. But get this. When Jesus was hanging, knowing that he's going to die, because with the penalty, the Romans, what they did when they sacrificed, 
Some people stayed out there for days. Some people stayed out there a long time. But get this. Knowing that Jesus was going to die, his words were so important. Jesus' last dying wish, and when you think about when someone you know is die, when you visit someone that's going to die, you want to listen to every word they're going to say. Jesus told John to take care of his mother Mary. He gave instructions. He gave instructions. He was concerned about the others. And I get this. Now, he even got a chance to minister to someone that was on the cross. Two thieves. He was in between two thieves. And one of the thieves said, if you be the son of God, you should, you know, let yourself down. You can have angels to come and get you and all that. But the other one said, remember me in paradise. And so Jesus told him, you will be with me in paradise. So looking at it now, Jesus being on the cross and his response out of all the beatings that he took, being embarrassed, being stripped down, naked, humiliated, there was one thing that made him respond. His response was, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken thee? Why did Jesus say that? Because for the first time in history, it wasn't the pain, the physical pain, that made him say that. For the first time in history, he was separated from the Father. Why was he separated from the Father? Because he became sin for us. He became the sinner for us. Now, this is the thing. Jesus knew no sin, but he had to take our place. We were the sinners. Jesus wasn't. Jesus had to substitute our life for his. And for the first time, God the Father was detached from Jesus because God is a holy God, a righteous God, and there is no sin in God's presence. And so Jesus responded, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken thee? And when you think about it, that made Jesus respond. The severity of sin, it made Jesus respond. The detachment, he felt for the first time in history, he felt the absence of God the Father. So when you think about it, why we don't feel that absence? Because sometimes we're used to it. We're used to disobedience. Disobedience is a routine for us. And what happened? Because it being routine, we get so lax in it. We are comfortable 
with God's absence in our life. We're comfortable in God's absence in our heart. But Jesus, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken thee? For the first time, he made Jesus respond. And so eventually, Jesus said, it is finished. That means him being a perfect sacrifice. Now get this. Now, normally, because people that were on the cross, they would try to hold themselves up to prolong their life. But even throughout Scripture, it told us that the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, would not have any broken bones. Now, because of people being being on the cross and they would try to hold themselves up, the Romans, what they would do, they would get something hard to break the legs, the knees, the ankles of whoever on the cross. So that way, that person can smother, they can suffocate themselves, their weight. They won't be able to hold up themselves. They have, they would have to, they they would, they would have to, how to say, have their lungs go through all these different type of um, physical ailments because they couldn't hold themselves up. They would be fatigued, and so Jesus. Dying And get this They pierced him in his side And when they pierced him in his side He bled Now get this Now when they pierced him in his side It hit the sack That was around his heart And when they hit that sack That was around his heart And blood just gushed And when Jesus said It is finished he gave up his life. He th- Listen, they didn't kill Jesus. He gave up his life. And so when the guards went to go check out Jesus, and they said, well, we don't have to break his legs because he's already dead. He bled, he hemorrhaged, he had seizures, convulsions, all these things Jesus went through. For you and I He took our place Jesus went through something Very big So we should not take sin Lightly And I know there are some people Regardless if they in the church Being in church for a long time Or whatever position Sin is a serious thing And the only cure For sin Is the blood of Jesus Christ We got to repent We were not good enough To take the stain of sin Out of our life Only Jesus was the only one That was able to do that Now Jesus Bleeding Being pierced in the side Died He died for you and I 
and they put him in a borrowed tomb. They put him in a tomb. They, like I said, this is this was struck me. They put him in a borrowed tomb. They put him in a tomb that belonged to someone else. But like they always say, like on TV, for a limited time offer. One day, women went out there to finish the burial, the burial ritual, which was during that time to put the the spices and stuff on him. Well, they went to the tomb and they realized that the tomb, which it was like, if you want to say like a cave and it had a big, um, big boulder over it. But when they went to that tomb, they realized that that boulder was not on the tomb. The tomb was open. And when they looked in, they realized it was the angel that was there. And the clothes that Jesus had, he was in the same form as if his body was in there, but Jesus was no longer in there. Now, the funny thing about it, people must have thought, oh, well, the tomb was open for Jesus to come out. No, the tomb was open for the people to go in for them to see. So once they realized that Jesus was not in there, and they, the angels told the women there, tell the disciples that he has risen just like he said. Now, as you think about it, they probably was astounded. They probably, you know, you think about it, their king, their hero, being crucified, and they're wondering, oh, my gosh. You know, when, you, when, when something like that happens, it makes you forget some important information. But for the women to have heard that, and as they go on forward, they run into someone, and they thought that it was the gardener. And so they were Mary, if I'm not mistaken, I want to make sure I'm saying make sure I'm saying the right one, but Mary. Mary was astounded. Oh my God. Where, where, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? So she sees someone that perhaps the gardener. And so she's telling them all about Jesus and all of a sudden the person that she believes that is the gardener says, Mary and she recognized that voice. And she realized it's not the gardener. It's actually Jesus. She ran it to Jesus. Now, the funny thing, going to the the angels telling the women to go tell the disciples, the men, because, like I said, the, the, they were running for their life. They were in hiding. But we discussed this earlier in church. But the women were the first apostles, the ones that were sent, those that actually got word that saw that Jesus had risen. Jesus saw them, spoke to them, and told them to go let them know to meet them at a location. So the women, the women were the first messengers. So they just let you know that women are important in ministry. They're not subordinate. So 
when we look at it, at first they didn't recognize him. And then also later on, the men, the men, they end up coming. And as they begin to look, as they begin to look for him, all of a sudden, somebody come along with them. And they're just telling the whole story about Jesus. So they offered this person to come over to the house and eat with them. Normally, the host is the one that break bread and speak and do all that stuff, and the guest is the one to kind of kick back. But this particular time, the person that came along with the disciples, the guest actually was the one that broke bread and spoke. And as they begin to speak and break bread, they recognize this is not some ordinary person. This is Jesus. They didn't recognize him. So get this. The women didn't recognize him in the beginning, and then the disciples didn't recognize him in the beginning. There's a reason. Later on, the other disciples meet up with him. Now, even though Peter denied Jesus three times, when Jesus told the others have tell my disciples and Peter and Peter, including Peter, hey, meet me at this location because, like I said, they were hiding. So as they were hiding, the disciples were hiding. What happened? The doors were locked. All of a sudden, who come in through the doors? Jesus. The doors were locked. They came. He came in. He came in without opening any doors. He came in, and they. They realized, wait a minute, he disappeared. And then, of course, we hear about Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, he didn't believe at first. We call him Doubting Thomas, but he didn't believe at first. But eventually, when he ran into Jesus, and Jesus showed him the nail prints that were in his hand, and he said, you can put your fingers in my hand, or you can put your fingers through my side. And he said, my Lord, my God. He recognized that it was actually Jesus. Now, why am I bringing all this up about people who didn't recognize Jesus? Jesus? Jesus was born. He was born, like I said, fully man, fully God. And so, with him being born, he was in a physical body just like us. But when he died and he rose from the grave, he no longer had a physical body like what we have. He had an eternal body because in this body that we live in, we have flesh and blood because there's life in the blood. Blood is life. But when Jesus rose, he had flesh and bones. He had the body of what we will have. Now, the thing also was he looked the best that he'd ever looked. He looked like his youthful prime, just like us. See, he, him rising was a great example of how we're going to look when we rise up. And the other thing, if you look at it, the piercing in his side was still visible. The nail prints in his hand were still visible. So if he had blood, he would have still been bleeding. 
So that let us know that his body was not the kind of body that we were, quote, unquote, accustomed to because not only him walking through the walls or through the door, but also he was able to eat fish with them. He ate with the disciples. So the same body that Jesus rose up in is the same kind of body we will have. So with the resurrection, the resurrection is more than the eggs. It's about a risen Savior, but also a great example of when we rise up, the same body that Jesus rose up in, the same one we would have in, but also when he said it was finished, that means that it ended the rift. It ended the, the if you want to say, I don't want to say the animosity, but it ended the the feud, or it ended the the distance between God and us. And even when Jesus died, there was a there was a shift that happened. The curtain, the curtain that was in the temple, it split. It didn't split from the bottom to the top. It split it from the top to the bottom. So in other words, there's no barrier that can hold us from God the Father. And we have accessibility to God the Father. Listen, it doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter how long you've been dealing with it. If you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and if you repent of your sins, God wants to forgive you. God can forgive you, and he can have that relationship with you through Jesus Christ. There was animosity. That's what I was trying to say. There was animosity between us and God, and that animosity was called sin. And because of that animosity, it kept us from living the abundant life that God has for us to live in. God has an abundant life for us. But also, get it, get this. Jesus defeated death. See, many people were born, and there might be people that might have, that might have um, rose or uh, might have died and came back. Lazarus, Lazarus. Um, Mary Martha's brother He was dead but Jesus brought him back to life But eventually He did die But see Jesus is the Only one that Died came back And still alive Everybody That may have died And came back eventually they did die But Jesus He died for your sins he died for you to have not just a life, but have it more abundantly, which means a better quality of life. And also he promised us that he would never leave nor forsake us. No matter what we've dealt with, whatever we're dealing with in our life, we don't have to deal with it alone. Whatever that you feel that, you know what, well, my past might have been too bad or God can't forgive me. No, there is no sin that God don't want to take you out of. There's no sin that God can remove from you. 
God can remove, God can forgive, but you have to accept him into your life. You have to want him into your heart. So the resurrection is so important because it's the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation. It's the core of our belief. So Jesus Christ dying is more, is more than just him saying it is finished. That's just the beginning. But the funny thing about it was him rising up, he walked on this earth after he had risen. He walked another 40 days. He walked amongst many people saw him alive. There were concrete evidence that he lived, that he existed, and then for him to die, and there was proof that he was dead, and then there was proof of him rising from the dead, and he's still alive. So when you look at it, and this is not to um, belittle anyone, but we just stay in the facts. Jesus Christ died and rose, and he's still alive. Muhammad he was buried. He ain't coming back. Confucius, he was buried. He ain't coming back. Anybody else in throughout history, they have died. But guess what? They ain't came back, and they're not going to come back. But Jesus Christ is the only one that history shows they are recording that he died. He came back. Jesus Christ the only unique son, fully God and fully man. And I will say this. When we look at um, the New Testament in Luke, Luke was a doctor. Luke was a physician. And he spoke about Jesus being born of a virgin, Jesus having a virgin birth. So that should let you know if a doctor, a physician can actually say that, then it's authentic, it's real, it's true. So Jesus Christ died for our sins, but the beautiful thing about it, not just him dying for our sins, dying in exchange for us, but he rose. Today we celebrate Resurrection Sunday because he rose. He rose for us to live. He rose for us to have the quality of life that he has for us to live. And to get this, when he comes back, because he's coming back, when he comes back, God the Father is going to fix everything to what he had originally planned. It's going to be as if Adam never sinned. So who would refuse such a great love from Jesus? Jesus died. He, Jesus already planned out everything for you before you came to the scene. So you don't have to worry about, well, I don't know what I'm going to do or I'm this, I'm that. Don't even worry about that. Know that Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. He cares for you, and he wants a relationship with you. And if you're listening, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would encourage you to do so tonight. To some people, it might have been a lengthy story for me to tell, but I wanted to explain everything of how man us as human beings, we were jacked up. We were lost for our eternity. But because of Jesus Christ 
coming to the scene and not just being born, that's one thing, but him born to die and he died for our sin, for your sin, but also for his for him to exchange his life for ours. That's why God said that Jesus' name Jesus will have a name that's above every name because it was all in the plan of God. It was all in the plan and will of God the Father. So let's take our walk with Jesus Christ seriously. Let's think about and evaluate ourselves each and every day because if Jesus responds to the absence of God's presence, what about us? Will we really want to see Jesus go through that again? So in other words, will we willfully do the things that are displeasing to God? We're saying what Jesus did, so what? What Jesus did, it wasn't enough. But also, cause of, if, if we feel that, you know what, well, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know if God can really do that for me. I don't know. We're saying what Jesus did was not enough. In other words, the finished product of salvation wasn't enough. No, no, it was plain enough. Jesus said it was finished. So, in other words, everything pertaining to we don't have to we don't have to work for our salvation. We just receive it. We receive it. Now, this is the thing. Now, I'm not saying, well, you know, uh, you you know, uh, we we got to do this. We got to do that. No, no. But see, because of our love for Jesus Christ, we will want to do things but not saying that we have to do things to build our salvation. See, Jehovah's Witness, they have to pass our trade. They have to do these deeds and stuff, and they feel like that will gain them salvation. No, no, no. No man's work can gain salvation. Salvation is already complete. In other words, I say it like this. Salvation is free, but it costs a heavy price, and it was through Jesus Christ that paid the price. So if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would encourage you to do so right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. God, thank you, Lord, for your offerings. We come to you right now, God. We want to acknowledge your presence on today, God. God, we ask you to help us, God, in every aspect of our life, God. We ask you to forgive us, God. If we said or done or thought anything that was unlike you, God, we ask you for your forgiveness, and we receive your forgiveness. God, I thank you, Lord, for dying upon a cross, but not just dying upon a cross, but God, raising up. God, with all power in your hands, God, we thank you, Lord, for being an awesome God, a faithful God, a committable God. God, we ask you, Lord, to help us, God, in every aspect of our life, God. Help us, God, to be faithful. Help us to be committable to you right now, God. Help us, God, to accept you and the Lord and Savior in our lives right now in the name of Jesus. And say about everything you stand for, about every problem, about every confusion right now in the name of Jesus. Say to take your hands off of God's people. You will not be trespassing on God's property right now. We are victorious through Jesus Christ right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask that if there's anyone that's sick, God, touch and heal their body right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, you even said even in your word, God, that by your stripes we are healed. So first of all, God, we are healed spiritually, God, because we have been reconciled with God the Father. And, God, everything pertaining to our life, God, is in your hands. God, you said, God, that you wish above all else that we should prosper even as our soul prosper, God. Be in good health, God. God, we ask you to help us, God, to be help, be healed, God, mentally, 
physically, financially, spiritually, and emotionally right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone that's grieving, God, be with them, God. Let them know, God, that you be a father to a fatherless, a friend to the friendless, God, a mother to the motherless right now. God, we speak, God, for those who need direction, God. Guide them, lead them to where you want them to be at right now. In the name of Jesus, we give you the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I want to thank each and every one who tuned in and listened and who supported this program. If you have any suggestions on future topics or episodes, feel free to contact me. I'm on Facebook. I'm Brother Prater, B-R-O-T-H-E-R. Pray to Piers and Paul, R-A, Piers and Tom, E-R. You can read my daily devotions and videos on my page, or you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, or you can go to my website at www.brotherprater.org. You will see the daily devotions, upcoming events, and personal appearances. Also, you can go to uh, the store section of my website where you can purchase my book, A Few Good Men, a path to godly fatherhood. A few good men was written to inform the men the needs of, and the responsibilities to their families, children, spouse, or children's mother. Also to inform women the needs of men and the and to give the single women the qualities of a potential future husband and or father to present or future children. I want to thank each and every one to tune in to listen to the program. Thank you for listening to Reconnect My Heart podcast. God bless you and good night. Mm-hmm.